2: Hello, this is Danny Kelly and welcome to Talk Sports, My Sporting Life. On this show, I'm joined by a cricketer who, during his career, earned a reputation as an attacking batsman who was capable of demolishing any bowling attack in the world. Alan Lamb was born to English parents in South Africa and made his mark in the early years of his career with Western Province before coming to the attention of English cricket fans when he joined Northamptonshire in 1978. During 18 seasons with the county, he won the BH Cup, captained the side to the NatWest Trophy in 1992, and came close to leading them to their first ever county championship title in his final year in 1995. At international level, he spent a decade playing for England, scoring 14 centuries in 79 test appearances, as well as playing over 100 one day internationals. Welcome to my sporting life to the England batting legend, Alan Lamb alan joseph lamb born the 20th of june 1954 in a place near in cape province south africa that i cannot possibly begin to
3: uh, to pronounce what's that called well it's called langabangveke i think a lot of people have, have struggled with it so <laughs> i've now decided that i was born in cape town
2: no no langabangveke <laughs> is, is fantastic and what was life uh, like growing up there
3: um well i i sort of left uh, when i was around about four or five we we headed to cape town um, but uh, my dad was in the air force.
2: He was a fighter. He was a pilot. Yeah, he was a, a, a fighter, fighter pilot. pilot? Yeah, wow. a
3: fighter pilot, and then and basically then became an instructor. Um, and uh, so, so did, you, did you live on the on an air force base or something? Yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, we lived in the air force base. Um, and uh, it was really also because my dad played a lot of sport and that type of stuff. And I used to, when they used to play in the country, then I used to go along as a youngster, watch them play cricket. Your parents were English? Are yes, English? yes, they were. Yeah, yep. um, my dad came out. His uh, father was an Irishman. Um, oh, hang on. I'm, I've got you, for, I'm putting you on my <laughs>
2: list of people I can claim to be Irish. And now the cricket improving every day. And
3: uh, he went up to set a building company out there as one of the irish do yeah um and then dad went out i think he it sort of did his schooling his late latter schooling there this is mickey yeah, yeah. um and then my mom uh her father got um he got uh, uh sent over he was in the raf and so that's where they met so one was born in Wimbledon, one was born in Wembley, and they met in South Africa, so there we are.
2: Maybe you're always destined to play for England then, regardless of the politics of South Africa. <laughs> it looks like it. Yeah. Um, and
3: you've got four brothers and sisters? Yeah, i got four brothers and sisters.
2: Four, or three, is that uh, one of four?
3: Yeah, yeah. one of four. Yeah. Um, I, my sister married Tony Bucknell, who captained England rugby, played for Richmond and, and England, and uh, she lives here, still in in London. Uh, My brother still lives in Cape Town, I've got a sister in Johannesburg.
2: And do you uh, as you say, uh, uh, apart from the slight oddity of um, growing up in Air Force bases um, and around the military, um, there was an awful lot of um, sports as you went through, because your father was, uh, was a very talented sportsman. As you went through your, your education at Pineland Prep, I've got the names here, um, Win- Winberg Boys High School, where the headmaster, I don't
3: believe, was Mr. Blackbeard. Yes, and he was a very strict headmaster. So, yeah, when, I, when we came through, another one you went back to pronounce is my father. Uh, became in charge of Asterplot, which is another air base in Cape Town. And uh, we went to started off at, at, at Pinelands, and then I went on to Weinberg. And uh, yes, Mr. Blackbeard was a ferocious headmaster.
2: What was it? I mean, what was the effect of you as a young person growing up in apartheid, Alan?
3: Well, we knew nothing about it really. I mean, you know, I think it was, we were talking about the other day, I think South Africa was really a military rule in, in a sense because. You know when we grew up at school we were told you know they were sort of could be terrorists that we mustn't mix with them that type of thing so but it it uh, to me it was very strange because in the latter part of my career when 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 i got a job in that you know we worked with them everything but uh, it was probably then because playing sport we were trying to break the barriers you know when i was sort of 16 15 you know we were still trying to break the barriers then So, you know, I realized what was going on sort of the latter part of my career. But I think everyone, you know, um, you know, just was, that was it, really. But, you know... If you read Nelson's book, all you want to do, just have equal rights so we could all go to school together. I mean, a very, very easy. So it just shows you.
2: Um, I only asked the question um, because it's had such a profound effect on you because, of course, South Africa is banned from international cricket because of the apartheid regime. And it means that, you know, you, you have to make certain choices after you've broken into the Western province team as a teenager. Um, but your cricket career is actually interrupted. You're right to say that South Africa was, you know, you can't keep a thing like apartheid in place unless it's a military dictatorship. And, of course, you still have national service. You, did, you went away and did national
3: service. Oh, yeah. I, I had to do two national service, and uh, it was 12 months. Um, I got sent up to Pretoria, um, to, the, to the gymnasium, the Air Force gymnasium. I was lucky I played a bit of sport. I did hardly any of my training to start with. Mm. Um, but uh, uh, in those days, uh, it was 12 months, and then you had to do your camps, so you would come back for the next 4 or 5 years still doing your camps and they brought out that yeah, if you stayed on in in the air force if you did 18 months you were totally finished you handed everything back and i said i'm doing this yeah get it out so of the way get it out the way do it and i spent 18 months and we we ended up going down transferred from pretoria down to cape town and then up to george um which is on the garden route beautiful but there was nothing there in those days and uh uh we we had to build the airport you know with with the servicemen and and everything like that so um that's where i spent sort of um nearly sort of nearly a year in george and it, did that interrupt your cricket career yeah i just played local cricket for for george western province uh, they had a, a southwestern districts i i played in the south african districts uh cricket week which they had um, so that disrupted, and I was both playing rugby. I played for for um, South Western Districts. Uh, we played against the French. We we lost hundred and ten. You three. weren't a second row forward, Alan? No, no, I wasn't. Uh, I only came on the second half, but uh, um, we I played fly off
2: Was it always your intention to to go and play for England? It's a very well trodden route now, um, but less so then. And of course, South Africa was completely
3: closed off from international sport. I don't think so. When, when I was at school, I used to follow all Mike Proctor, uh, you know, um, Clive Rice, all those Big guys. South African players, yeah, yeah. And, and Barry Richards, all those guys. So I used to watch their progress at county cricket. And uh, throughout my schooling career, we got coached by um, county pros, you know, Alan Bateman, David Steele, George Sharp, uh, Tom Reddick. Um, so. You know, it was always my—I had this thing about going to play county cricket, but it was never my intention, young, to go and play uh, for for England because, you know, we always had a hope that South Africa would come back. Um, so, so
2: you you, uh, you come over here to play for Northamptonshire in 1978, but that wasn't your first attempt, I don't think, to actually come and play in this country. Is that right?
3: No, in 77, um, Eddie Barlow uh, was playing for Derbyshire. And uh, he had set up... Great player in spectacles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He set up a program um, to bring two guys over uh, to Derbyshire and just get the roots of playing county cricket. It was part of the structure at Western Province where, you know, we were the up-and-coming guys. Um, So there were three of us, but only two could go. That was um, Garth LaRue and Peter Kirsten. And um, he said, if you could get a sponsor to pay for your ticket, you can come. So my uncle paid... Uh, you know, who is no longer alive, but uh, he paid for it. So, Garth LaRue, Peter Kirsten and myself both came over and we played for Derbyshire seconds. We practiced with Derbyshire and then they let other counties know that we were available to play in their second teams. I played for a, a, a club side in, in, in Yorkshire, in the Bradford, um, called Holmfirth. Um, so on a Saturday We used Beautiful to play part there. of the world Yeah we used to play there And they were postage stamp And miss hit when You know Went for sex or- um and then you know if you got to a 50 there would be a collection if you got 150 that all go out the gates oh they make because... make you mad oh, yeah. they, they wouldn't <laughs> they, they were very unhappy but I, I did we did well with them you know so uh... um
2: uh, having had the disappointment of 77 i mean you come back over here and join northamptonshire in 78 why northamptonshire or they, they were well, well, the ones the
3: well in the... 77 in in um uh over Christmas of seventy-seven, a, there was a guy called Roy Barker who was on the Northampton board, and uh, he came over. What had happened was Northampton offered uh, a, a contract to Peter Kirsten, who didn't accept it, and he went to Derbyshire. And so, Christmas uh, period, Tom um, Roy Barker flew over because of Barker Shoes and all that he was doing business, and. They went to Tom Reddick and Tom Reddick called me up and said, you know, the Northampton guys would like to see you. And they offered me a three year contract. So I was in a bit of a turmoil. I was working at that stage. So I had to go along to, um, you know, my boss, uh, Butch Watson Smith and and ask him, you know, what should I do? And, you know, they said, listen, you must don't 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 miss the opportunity. Go.
2: So you, you signed you signed for an English county. And despite having English parents, how difficult was
3: the transition to England as a country um, and to English cricket? Um, well, I mean, you know, I never knew just coming over, it, it was a new thing for me. I arrived. Uh... You know, I was put up in digs, arrived at the ground, you know. You've got to also realise that... Um, I... I was going to say, at least you speak English. I mean,
2: Alan Donald arrived, for instance, with not a word of English, you know. Was, I think I'm right in saying he, he
3: spoke only Afrikaans. I think a little bit of... he could speak a bit well, of... Well, he makes uh, that, he uh, didn't uh, have a single word. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, so when I, when I got here, it was... Um, it was was it quite hard because I'd replaced Mushtag Muhammad and, and Bishan Bedi, two great players, because of the Packer series. You remember they banned the Packer players. Sure, so sure. that was the gap, really. So. Sorry, when you say you replaced Bishan Beatty, we're talking about one of the great spinners of all time here. Well, they, the two overseas. Well, they had, they had three overseas players there was Safraz, Bishan Beatty, and. Um, and Mushtak. So basically I was I was replacing Mushtak. Uh, because you only allowed two, not three overseas players. So there was Safraz and and then I came, so I was under quite a lot of pressure. I had some big boots to fill. Absolutely. Um, and were you aware at the time? I mean, it's probably hard to think back now. That uh,
2: the rule then, I'm not sure what it is now, but the rule then was you had to be resident in this country for four continuous years in order to play Test cricket for England. Is it, uh, uh, did that come into your mind very quickly?
3: Did you, did you decide you were moving to this country permanently? That that decision was made when I arrived um, because we had a meeting. Um, you know, I, I saw – because we had tried to change the game uh, through 75, 74, 76, 77. We tried to change the game, and we had these strikes, you know, uh, with the government to say, you know, that the the black players and the coloured girls should be playing with us. Um, so I knew there was no future then. I mean,
2: uh, just, just, just for our listeners, I, I think people would uh, – forget this that you know uh, of course apartheid was overthrown um but uh, partly by pressure from from without you know uh, uh, boycotts and all the rest of it but within the country there were lots of people trying to make those kind of progressive changes including as you quite rightly say the cricket players and the cricket authorities who were desperate to say to the government this is this is
3: ludicrous yeah. well it was the sportsman you've got to remember all sport was banned, business was banned so everything i mean we were an isolated country and uh, um so you know it it wasn't very hard for me to make that decision. I, I was lucky because both my parents were English and um, you know I could get a passport straight away as soon as I arrived in the country. So I made that decision that I'm going to spend four years trying to qualify to play for England then it was also difficult because all those rebel tours started and South Africa kept asking me to come back and play for for, for them against the rebel tours and I was going to say you must be stupid you know I've spent two, three years qualifying I mean now I'm going to go back and play for South Africa, you must be mad so Let me ask
2: you a question Alan, sorry I'm jumping around here but uh, having played 79 tests for England over 100, I think nearly 120 one day internationals and because coming apart the furniture of, of the history of English cricket. Um, you're a human being, though. Do you, do you wish things had been different? Do you wish you could
3: have played for South Africa, the country you were actually born in? Yeah, I've always said that. You know, if, if South Africa, if I had the opportunity to play for South Africa, of course I would have played for South Africa. I think it's quite right you play for the country of your birth. Um, you know, I've had lots of sort of discussions about people Uh, playing for other countries I mean I think the situation with Kepler Vessels playing for Australia I mean that was all set up because you know Packy married an Australian and it was rushed through but for him to come back and then play for South Africa I thought that was totally wrong
2: what about, what about Kevin Peterson, who turned his back on South Africa to play for England?
3: Yeah, I I think, uh, you know, Kevin hadn't really made it. He, he, he said he hadn't been getting the opportunity. He probably hadn't been scoring the runs or doing what he should have done. Um, and and they offered him a a, a position to come over. Um, you know, that's their decisions. I, I think I, I would have, if I had the opportunity and I thought I was good enough, I would have stayed for the country of the birth. OK. Um,
2: your early days at... Uh at Northampton are very successful you scored nearly 1,700 runs in 1979 reached the final of the Gillette Cup and your first major honour I guess is 1980 when you win the B&H um, what do you remember
3: about, about that final well I, I think it was against uh, Essex. Essex yes yeah, yeah I, I remember that Um uh, well, I'll, I'll help you. You made seventy-two runs and virtually won the game. Oh, did I? Yeah, <laughs> I, no, I, I remember. I, because... I think
2: there's quite a lot of one-day sna- uh, one-day games, Alan, where you made seventy-two and won the game. So <laughs> I forgive you if you can't remember every
3: single one of them. Um, but no, Essex had a very good side, and uh, I think we did well. We had Richard Williams who bowled very well in that game, that off-spinner. Um, and I think we, we managed to get Gucci and and, and Kenny McEwen, who the mainstays, out. So uh, uh, that also helped.
2: So 81, 82, what do you remember about your, your you know, as you develop into a fully-fledged county cricket player, you're established on the scene. Um, how, do, uh, how quickly can you think about, once, you, once you've had your residency, the four years, were you thinking I'll get straight into the England team or was it not quite as simple as that no not but I want to just
3: stop you yeah, because sure. in in 1978 there was a guy called Wayne Daniel who played oh. for Middlesex who, who wasn't the slowest one out he was a
2: and, brute of a man uh, West I've, Indian fast bowler
3: wonderful actually yeah and I've only broken my finger once and that 78 which one uh, it was his finger oh no you
2: still got it then so that's good Um,
3: and uh, so I only I I missed quite a bit of that season and I don't think I got a thousand runs in that first part of my season no uh, because of the the thank you to to Wayne Daniel Um, but no I mean I I just played uh, you know looking to score as many runs I can do have success for Northampton and if the chance came in 82, you know, then we're there. What? A lot of people say that the reason I got in because of all the, the players that were banned, the Rebels and that, but I think maybe I I probably, with the amount of runs I got, I, I they may have still picked me. I'm not too sure.
2: Alan, you're one of these people who had a, a one day career. Your style of batting helped you. You could do one day and test uh, cricket um, equally well. And in the summer of 1982, you make your debut ring in both forms of the game. I think the one day games preceded the test matches. What do you remember? You made your one day international in June um, against India at Leeds. You remember anything about that? Um, I'll help you. England won and you made 35 not out of 50. So a pretty good
3: start. Oh, right. Because they had the the Lancashire All-Rounder playing. I can't think of his name. Barry Wood. Yeah. He he played. But I I must say, before I went up there, um, Brian Davison, who played for um, Leicester, we were playing Leicester just Mm -hmm. before um, those one days before I got, you know, when I got picked, it was all announced then. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget, he came to me and he said, you know what, Lamy, don't change your game. Play the way you see it, really. Because I, one thing I forgot to tell you is, is Northampton really picked me f- as a one-day player, really, because they felt that looking, you know, we I would be better off in England as a one-day player, but we proved them wrong too.
2: Absolutely. Um, was there any hostility um when you when you started playing for England, because you would come from a non-English background, not not too much.
3: You you get the odd bit, but uh, I think probably the country that really was was Australia. I mean, Australia. You know, were very very harsh. I mean, the people in Australia they. They sort of uh, tended to bring back, you know, you know, you South African, you racist. What are you doing? you know, get back to your country, New Zealand too. I never had a problem in in India, Pakistan, West Indies.
2: No, okay. Well, we'll come we'll come on to all of that. And so uh, then you make your test debut um, in the series against India. First test, I presume you remember it. So the first test
3: was at Lords. Yes, yes, I do. Very nervous. I've got to say, walking out at Lords and. Uh, we we're playing against the great man Kapil Dev, um, and he got me out, I think. Um, so I can remember that we won the Test match, which was great. What
2: about um, the, the England team? You found yourself coming into. Can you remember? I mean, obviously, there were some of the great figures of post-war
3: English trigger. Botham was in the team. David Gower was in the team. Oh no, couldn't You know, they there were some great Gower, uh, uh, Botham, Willis, um, Delhi. You know, they had some they had some great players there, and uh, um, you know, it was uh, it. it I didn't really fit in straight away. I always felt that, you know, I was a bit of an intruder, you know. So uh, it took me quite a while, really, till till the Australian uh, tour, the, the tour to Australia in 82, 83, is where I went along to Bob Willis and said, and, and to Ian and them, I said, you know, guys... You know, I've got to tell you that I'm totally committed to, to the cause of playing for England, and I just want to let you know that. And they said, don't worry, you're one of us. And that really made a huge difference. I
2: mean, we're, we're still in a period here where England, would you know, the current England test selectors, Um, If you're in the England team, it's almost impossible to get out of it. Um, We're still in the the chopping and changing period here with England, aren't we? But I don't don't remember you being one of those who was in and out of the team. Once you were in, you were pretty much in,
3: weren't you? No, I think every time the the media said he's got to go, you know, I managed to get 100 or something. (laughs) Uh, In the dressing room, I mean, it it was a bit of a sort of a joke well I mean you know we used to have a chair and someone tied a rope up you know we said well if you don't get any runs you know you're on the chair the rope you'll be out next year because those days it wasn't you were in the side you know if you didn't get runs they'd give you two test matches oh it was ludicrous and but and they you were gone really well you might so. get two bad umpiring decisions and you're out of the correct, team correct so there was no continuity really um, but I was lucky I just hung in and uh, you know w- w- if I had two bad innings I may become good the next one so
2: we hung in well as you say you were in the in in those uh test debut at law's and played in the second test at old trafford and it's the third test at the oval here in london um where you, you scored your first test century um i'll remind you in the first thing you made 107 now what did that feel like
3: well, you always remember the first 100 you ever got. Um, it wasn't against the graces of attacks, uh, if you think about it. I mean, India, Kapil Dev, they didn't really have anything major. They had Dilip Doshi, the, the off spinner, but. Um, uh, it was a real flat wicket. Um, England won the toss, and uh, I never forget Ian. I was going really well, and Ian Botham came into bat, and uh, he, he he took three. It went down to mid wicket. I can still see it, and uh, it was absolute. And he sent me back. Um, oh, I'm sorry. And anyway, I got run out, and I walked run up. out by Botham on 107. Yeah, and uh, he had just come in, and he said, "Don't worry, I'll get that 200." Well, he did, and I was mightily pissed off with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would be. Um, you went
2: on to get uh, your first one-day international 100 against Pakistan, which, as you say, then takes you up. Um, you played against Pakistan in the test. You didn't do, I have to say, Ellen, you didn't do particularly well. I'm looking at your scores here against Pakistan, and but you might want to put your fingers in your ears. 6-5, 33, 0 uh, naught, and 4. And yet the the, the much maligned selectors stuck with you, and you go to the... Uh, ash's tour of, of australia in 82 83 as you said uh, uh, committed to the cause um how, how did you approach the games against australia because of course for english people it's not a question it is the the most important series it was mm. then it always has been and always will be um did you have that that feeling of of uh, enmity towards the australians
3: um, no, but just going back to yeah. to the packet, yeah. Mm. I mean, I was probably lucky to be picked because I, I'm, I'm looking I, at your scores here. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I was, I had a, um, you know, I had probably one or two unlucky, uh, you know, decisions, but that's part of cricket. But if you were picking someone to the tour, but I think the reason they probably picked me is is probably my background of playing on firm wickets and that type of stuff, and and the wickets were. Sure. Uh, and probably that's the reason. So, um, you know, I I I was very lucky to be selected, probably uh, to go on that tour. But I um, you know it 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 was great for me. What do you remember about the tour itself? Well, I do remember we should have uh, drawn the series. Um, that is one I can always remember because I, I never forget in those days Australia. There were, were no neutral umpires, so we were playing against. Uh, uh fourteen, you know, thirteen Australians because uh, the two umpires were Australia, and and uh, there was a guy called I think Mel Thompson or Mel yeah Mel Thompson from Queensland, and um, and we ran John Dyson out. Uh, the picture in the Sydney Herald the following day, there was no batsman and the wickets were knocked out the <laughs> ground. And uh, I went the following day to to you know Mel Thompson whatever he's now. I said, look, here you know, look what you've done. You have cost us the game. He said, Oh no, you'd already gone through. I said absolute nonsense to that <laughs> Not in not in those no, words. And, and he went and got a got hundred and seventy and that changed it. So we should have um we should have uh uh, drawn that series. But I mean, my big thing was I was playing against some heroes, you know, Marsh, Lily, Thompson, you know, the Chapel, uh, 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 Greg Chapel. I mean, they had a major side. And, uh you know, I um, I remember Alan Porter was the only one I knew because I played against him in 1977 with the Robins. So I had known, uh, 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 I had met. Uh, um, Alan b- before, so that was the only thing I really, the only person I knew. I knew Tony Gregg from his days when he was in England, so th- he was a commentator then. But um, no, it was a, uh, it it was tough. And um... I mean, I will say this though,
2: because it, well, it was tough. But and you, but you did win the third test in Melbourne, a very famous test by three runs, very close test, which means that you had won a match against Australia. And we're going to hear later on in the show. Indeed, you were a member of two victorious series teams against Australia. You want to count yourself very, very lucky. People have sat in that chair. Darren Goff, Alex Stewart, they played over 200 tests between them, never won a single match against Australia. I mean,
3: incredible. Yeah, I mean, you know... uh, I think some times change, but, uh, you know... Yeah, of course. But, uh, um, no, and I I think the big thing in those days, you you got to know the opposition too, because what we used to do is is the... um, fielding side, the batting side would go into the fielding side's dressing room and we'd have a drink and, and you know there I was. i never forget I, I, I got a nick against um, Dennis Lilly and uh, I, we played it the Australian style so you wait for the umpire to give you out and he didn't give me out and the Aussies were furious with me. Anyway when I went into the dressing room afterwards and uh, I don't know I think I got 40 or 50 in that uh, the first innings I can't remember um, and Bruce Yardley got me out and uh, I was nearly frogged off the, the field by, by, by Rodney Marsh. Anyway, you know, being a sort of lad, not knowing too many of the players, we go in for the first time, like Bibi said, we all have to. This is, and it was done like that in South Africa. So I was quite used to that. So we went in and Lily and Thompson was sitting there said, hey, you, come sit here. And I sat in between them and they said, did you nick that? I said just a faint one, boys. <laughs> <laughs> and they were absent. They knew it, you know. Anyway, they said, yeah, yeah. And they had a couple of cans of, uh, of beer in an esky, and, and, and they'd get a load of seafood in, and we'd tuck in, and we'd sit there for, you know, till eight, nine o'clock wow. talking about cricket. So, you know, a lot of things, we, we, you got to know the players. But, you know, once you were on the park, there Was no love lost, you know, they were there to kill you, get you out, whatever. In 1985, um, the Aussies were the tourist here in
2: England, and you turned it round. I mean, it's, we're, we're getting used to beating uh Australia nowadays, but uh, it wasn't quite such a common thing in those days. But England won the series 3 1 here in 1985.
3: Um, what do you remember about that series? Um, yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think Alan Border was in charge, um, and uh. Um, we knew we knew quite a few of the players that had, that had come over, and uh, I think uh, you know England. We we probably people say it wasn't a great Australian side, but I've I got to say that I think um, we did play exceptionally well in that series. And under the we had David Gower, who who had also a very good series. Um, and uh, I think that was the series. After that, he lost the captaincy uh, to to Mike Gatting. Yeah. Um, but we can go on to that later. but um, yeah, no, it, it was great, uh, you know, winning winning the ashes uh, against Australia, especially in England um the the
2: the problem here is that we were doing so well against australia but uh, and we're going to talk again about when we went with mike Gatting for that famous series um in 87 uh and winning in australia and in between we have the problem of the west indies don't we well come on to your your own batting against them because in between england lose 5-0 um it was it were they still at that stage in the mid 80s were they still obviously from mid mid 70s they dominated the game um, they were still far and away the best team in the world. Yeah, the West Indies.
3: Uh, yeah, I I think, you know, we had Les Taylor and Richard Ellison um, playing, and uh, and they did really well. They bowled, they bowled, I think they bowled Australia out at uh, at the Oval when when we won. Um, so all of a sudden, you know, Richard Ellison, Les Taylor, you know, good swing bowlers went yeah. out to the. Way. Now we know that the ball doesn't swing. We
2: well, the... no disrespect to either of good, good technicians. They were very pop guns,
3: pop ve- guns when you get out there. No, very good cricketers. I mean, they were good bowlers, but I mean, West Indies conditions a little bit different, and uh, um, we, I think, that was the tour when the um, the rebels came back and uh, so Gucci was available. John Embry came back um so <clears throat> I think Mike Gatting came back, so we had quite a few players um that were playing. Peter Willie played, so you know we had we had fairly sort of strong side, and uh I never forget the the West Indies ball. we were not allowed to go and practice at the grounds or at the major places because of. You know the West Indies were still upset that we had picked the players that had been to South Africa, so there was quite a lot of uh, animosity. Right, um, and I think the West Indians players weren't really happy uh, with with, uh, with England selecting these players, so they took no prisoners, and and you know they meant uh, you know they came after us straight away.
2: Well, I, I want, I'm going to come back later on in the show to your own record against the West Indies because um, when the dust has all died down and we can look backwards at it, um, you're one of the handful of people who seems to be able to deal with their with their pace attack. We'll come back to that. But it means that coming into the Ashes series in the winter of 86-87, down under, um, and as we know, England recently won down there and it was the first time since this series, um, both the sides came in at a very low ebb. You'd, you'd had that... 5-0 Blackwash um, in the West Indies um, then lost to India and New Zealand in the run-in they themselves Australia had lost series against New Zealand um, and uh, and drawn against, against India so both sides were, were pretty low at the time and yet it turned out to be a wonderful series and um, maybe, maybe my mind is uh, biased because it was a wonderful series because I remember England winning
3: well, yeah, it didn't start off so well for us because I think we, we lost the first three warm-up games and uh, yep. I think we, we were headlined as the worst uh, cricket team ever to leave the British shores. Can't bat, can't bowl, can't field. A, a, famous, a famous Australian
2: journalist, um, the headline on the paper was can't bat, can't bowl, can't it field. It wasn't a oh, famous was Australian. It? Was, it? Player. It, was,
3: it was Johnson. Um, oh, Brian Johnson? Oh, no, no, oh, no. Um, the writer for The Independent. Oh, right, uh, okay. Martin Johnson. Martin Johnson, yeah. yeah. Um, can't back, can't he, bowl, can't yeah. field. Yeah, he was right because, you know, we, we we couldn't do anything right. I think maybe the social activities had sort of taken our mind off the game because we had the America's Cup on that year, if you remember, and uh, they were based in Perth, and, and I, I think um, – we all got invited out during the, the game against Western Australia to go and have a party with these guys so probably a lot of us weren't uh, really up for it and we, we lost fairly easily to Western Australia and I, I've got to say that they, we got a few Western Australian guys picked in the Australian side so um, came in the test match No, let me, no, no let me, I must
2: stop you there Look... You're in a team with Ian Botham, whose appetites are legendary. David Gower, um, one, he's never too far away from a glass of champagne. Um, how how social, shall we say, was the England team at this time? Um,
3: you know, uh, I wouldn't, you know, you, you, you had characters like Botham and Gower. So um, uh, you had, um, I think Gower had lost the captaincy. So you've got to remember there was a real problem because... Um, Gower was really upset and losing the capsey after beating Australia uh, and then Mike Gatting taking over John Embry became captain uh, vice captain now none of those are toured Australia. so you know I did say to Mike you know you've got to try get uh, David involved yeah otherwise you know we're not going to get the best out of him and credit to Gatting and and, and and Embry they formed a committee which was myself both them, Dilly and Edmonds and Gower. So they brought us in and we had a sat and said how things should be um, and, and how the practice. Is. You see, what happened was, was Ian could have been, if you had him at a practice, he could mess up a practice very quickly. So what they did, they made one rule. Which was good for Ian and both them. He came, he bowled, he had a net, he did his fielding, and we sent him off because if he hung around there, it'd be an absolute nightmare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, David Gow again wasn't one to run around, you know, Melbourne twenty times. I mean, he believed running between the wickets or hitting fours was enough size. Yeah. So, so they did make sort of some exceptions, and 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 I think that helped, and and it gelled the side together.
2: And um all the people you mentioned and yourself played pretty well but for me the memory of that series and england's amazing victory over over australia down there was and i feel very sad for him now because now he's kind of Stuart. he's he's stewart broad's dad really isn't he but for that series chris broad i think he opened for england he just scored run after run after run century after
3: century after century yeah you know we, we didn't have any openers really I mean Chris wasn't really picked as a and they put Bill Athey and Chris uh, Chris board in as, as the openers and uh, as you say uh, Chris had a magnificent series they kept bowling on his legs and uh, you know he just it was like you know taking candy from kids I mean he had a magnificent series he scored a century, I think in the second the third and the fourth test in, yeah. I mean,
2: away from home in any circumstances that took yeah. some doing oh no no that, uh,
3: that was uh, fantastic and now
2: case. he's just Stuart Broad's dad <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I'm, I'm rushing through this because uh, because I want to get on to something else. if I may um, the fifth test. Of course, Australia won the fifth test. As uh, it seems to be always the rule between England and Australia is that whoever won the series, they went out went out on the pop for a couple of weeks and let the uh, let the other team win the last uh, si- the last test. Because after that, um, the West Indies were taken over to England. Uh, sorry, to, to Australia. And the three of you played a, a, a... It was called the Benson Hedges World Series Cup. And it was a tri- you know, a, a three-cornered tournament. Um, and a lot of people will say this was a defining memory of you as a player because you were an explosive batsman, Alan. You know, you put your foot to the ball. Um, and I see Chris Gale doing it now, but he's a giant man. You're a much more compact human being, but the timing was quite extraordinary. And so in the fourth match that series... Um, Australia were beating England at the SCG. You must remember this. England needed 17 off the final over. The tall, very willowy bowler Bruce Reid was coming in, and you, Alan Lamb. Um, you, uh, in case you don't remember the sequence, two, four, six, two, four to win the game. What do you remember about
3: that over from Bruce? Well, it, it's been brought up so many times, as you say. Um, yes, I, I do well, remember. Well, those of us who saw it will never
2: forget it. You know? um,
3: I think. Uh, you know, we had—I um, think we had 56 to get in four overs, um, and we—I was batting with uh, with Daffy De Freitas, and we got it down to to 17. We needed 17 or 18 off that last over, and I still hadn't hit a four. And I went up to De Freitas and I said, "Give me your bat because this bat of mine's absolutely yeah. bagel. I can't hit a boundary. I was playing so badly." And I—I I got there and I said, "You know what? I've got to try win this game for us because." I'm going to be the laughing stock in that dressing room. I come in, they're going to really have me, and uh, that was really history. But I think what turned that game was um, I hit the two. So I think it was two, the third, the third ball. No, you hit two, four, six, and the fourth ball was a two. The fourth ball was a two, and. And I think it went to Dirk Willem or 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 Dean Jones, and I was at the non-strikers pretending to run back to get the two, and and as I was he was pretending to throw it in, so I kept sort of pretending to run, and all of a sudden he he was sort of and he hurled it in at uh, Bruce Reed, and Bruce had to quickly go behind the stumps, I had to go retreat back, and uh, got in the way of the ball, unintentionally I must Uh say with a smile on my face yeah. and uh, and I blocked Bruce Reed and the ball hit him on the chest and we went through for one run. So I managed to get down to the other side. Alan Border was absolutely furious. He said, you got it. I said, nonsense, he should have thrown it at the keeper. It would have been
1: dead ball. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. Alan you
2: won the series down under in 87 you won the triangular series with it, thanks to your efforts uh, against West Indian Australia we should have had a hat-trick we should have won the World Cup as well the one day World Cup we lost the, the final uh, in Calcutta against of all
3: teams Australia we had the, the sign over them and um, what do you remember about the final well two things I, I think um, is that it should have been in India uh, India Pakistan because everything they India played uh, England uh, in the semi-final and Australia played Pakistan, mm. and we both won. And I think that was the first when Barry Mayer gave uh, Javid Meeandad out LBW the first time he had ever been out LBW, on the uh, you know on the Asian sort of soil. Yeah. Um. So when we got up there, I still remember everything was sort of India, Pakistan, and that. <laughs> um. And it's the second, it's not what they're expecting, no. And the second thing was probably. Uh, Mike Gatting's reverse lap of Alan Border.
2: I mean my recollection is that the you know Gatting was in England were coasting and he played what was then uh, I mean the reverse sweep was now accepted part of the game but it was like a mad gamble in
3: those days and to get out to Alan Border it was just awful yeah I mean Alan Border of all people when he came on I mean you know he was going to bowl you a bad ball it wasn't you know we weren't I will not say coasting we were right in it I mean we didn't have to do anything stupid all we had to do was play um and, and then Mike got out. Um, I also, they had me down the order, and I uh, we sort of, when I came in, we, were, we then had to sort of chase our tail a bit. Um, they had, I think, Bellathe batting at, uh, at three. Um, and I think we, we, we got it wrong, which I told them right at the beginning, that uh, I think we have got this batting order wrong. Yeah, well, Bill Bill wasn't really an aggressive enough player for
2: even one day cricket then, perhaps, is fair to say. But a disappointment uh, to end what had been a spectacular period in your career. And coming up next in tonight's edition of My Sporting Life, we'll be looking at your incredible record of hitting centuries against the feared West Indies attack of the 1980s and and early 90s. The 1992 World Cup, where once again England fall at the final hurdle. And the controversial Test Series the same year against Pakistan and the rest of your county cricket career, including further success with Northampton. There are very few people who faced that West Indies team of the 1980s and early 1990s who can honestly say that they got the better of them. But nearly half your test centuries
3: were scored against that very team. How do you, how do you account for that? I don't know. Dif- difficult. Um, I, I just think that probably um, either way of playing and, and I sort of believe that that I could score runs against them.
2: I'll try, I'll try and throw in a couple of things. Let me start with uh, saying, of course, they and we'll talk about their attack in a minute. Um, they tend to be, I mean, Courtney Walsh and uh, uh, Ambrose and Walsh were, were incredibly tall men, and you're a, a compact sort of guy, aren't you? Um, I wonder whether the bounce wasn't such a problem for you because you, 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 you could hook and pull where other people were kind of struggling with things, hit, hitting them you know, in, the, in the groin and stuff like
3: that. Well, you had you had Croft and Garner. They weren't were that short. No, that's what I'm saying. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, it, it's a way you work it out and play. Yes, cutting and pulling. I, I think the big thing about playing quick bowling is is that you want to rotate the strike. You know, you've got to be looking to score runs. You, you know, you can't just stand there and and hope defend because they like bowling six balls. Uh, To you, And the more balls they bowl at you, the the better chance of them getting out. So I think the big thing about rotating the strike um, and being positive.
2: I mean, we're talking about people bowling at, I mean, I don't even know what the speed gun was telling us in those days. But let's just say they went on between the four people you mentioned, got nearly, you know, over a thousand test wickets bowling at incredible speed. Um, What was your technique, Alan? Because... As far as I can see, and you probably know this from sports science point of view, you don't actually see
3: the ball, do you? You're guessing or you're predicting where its path. Are you? <laughs> if you're not watching it, you might as well go home. You don't predict. I mean, you can't predict where it's going. Um, I-, I think there was a guy called Rudy Webster who who played for Warwickshire and West Indies, uh, and he once asked me, "Bill, we were down in in Grenada in the West Indies." And I was having a chat to the academy, the the academy for the West Indian youngsters and that. And we were speaking about quick bowling. And Rudy said, what did you you do? What did you watch when you played quick bowling? And I said, I I watched the wrist because the wrist was very important because the longer the ball stayed up in the wrist, uh, it was going to be a half volley. Uh, Once the wrist went, the ball was gone so it was going to be a short ball so um, you know of course you've got to watch the ball and you know you don't I think you don't just stand there and play uh, and hope, hoping for the best really um, so um, that was the the big thing and the big thing is, is just being positive and, and trying to score runs against them
2: what did they, How did they, I mean, for instance, in, in the nineteen eighty four series here in in England, you got three centuries, uh, albeit in losing causes, uh, for England against the West Indies. What? How did the Australia? How did the, uh, the West Indian
3: players treat you? Um, you know, you had you a bit of respect from them. But, you know, anyone who scores runs, they'll they'll give you respect. But uh, um, you know, they never took any prisoners. I mean, you know. <sighs> Malcolm Marshall oh, you know he he was one of the great you had holding so they had all the bowlers but um uh it was bad because you know we got we got bowled over fairly easily um and and uh, the team probably as a whole probably we uh there was a lot of a lot of people didn't have the self belief in them and i think that was the big thing do you think they were scared anyone no, no, I don't think people are scared. I mean, they open their eyes a little bit. But um, you know, if you're scared, then you might as well stand up.
2: I mean, you showed me your the finger that you got, you had broken um, back in the day from, from
3: Wayne Daniel, as you said. I was lucky. That's yeah. the only thing. Really, you've happened. never had a serious injury. Um, no, I, I, I when I was young, I mean, Garth LaRue hit me on the on the cheekbone. We were playing in a in a, a double wicket competition and. Uh, um, Garth could put it down a bit as well. Oh like yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> so I had a, a broken nose and a cracked cheek. That's the only thing, really. And and this little finger of mine that Wayne hit. But otherwise, no. Um, but you know, you you must well, you must have. Were, were you? I mean, you, presumably you were there
2: when Malcolm Marshall broke uh, broke my Gattings face up.
3: Oh yeah, I mean, you know,
2: it was. Uh, One of the more extraordinary sights ever I mean Obviously terrible for Mike But what an amazing thing To see someone's face Just
3: exploded well, with a cricket ball. I, Yeah I know And I had to go and bat neck, So that was even worse Big so, fun uh, <laughs> You know Walking out And asking the groundsman To cover up all the blood Lying over the wicket I mean that was uh, Quite a big factor
2: And I must say You know um, Before people get the impression That we're uh, you also won tests against the West Indies. Um, not many, <laughs> not many, not many. No, but I remember 132 you got in Kingston. In Kingston, um, you got 119 in Bridgetown, so you could score in the West Indies as well. But I wanted to come on to that. You know, w- we think about the England team at this time: um, Mike Gatting, David Gower, Graham Gooch. Yourself, you can probably tell me that the, the both. Graham Dilley, but you know, extraordinarily good England players, players have gone on to become Hall of Fame players if you like. I'm going to tell you now that between January of 1986 and January of 1990, England played 40 tests and won three times. I mean, it's a, know, me- incredible, it Rick, a very I mean. unsuccessful cricket team.
3: No, um, you know things were, were all coming to a change. Um, you know, a lot of those
2: tests were against that West Indian team. I will say that there were three series yeah. in very close proximity to each other.
3: Yeah, and and you know there were no set contracts. There there was nothing. You know, the whole thing was changed. I mean, I think when Gucci took over, um, we we went and fought uh, for the team. Um, you know about getting getting extra money for sponsorships and and you know creating something and uh, um you know we we managed to get an agent first artists were the first ones to go out and John find smith and his game. Yeah, yeah yeah so so that was a whole change so i would say we, we got the ball rolling looking after the england team as an individual as a as a team
2: i mean i spoke um here on talk sport the other day to the man who will be who is the sports scientist Um, He was in the studio um, for the Australian team for the upcoming Two Ashes, and he revealed to me the Australian support cast... For their team coming out, there will be more support personnel than there will be players in the squad.
3: Oh no, that's but been it, happening for, it, it, for a while. But now I, but, but, I, but, it, but it, people, as recently as nineteen ninety, that wasn't true, was it? Oh no, no, we had we didn't have anything like that. I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, it was totally unprofessional, to be honest, uh, in the, the word way I was we played. Use. We were just amateurs in in a sense, being paid not very much money, um, and it was only after that, the England when Lord McLaurin came in and and. You know, this was a big thing that England had to change. They had to get, uh, you know, we had to change the whole way, the structure of cricket.
2: In your final year of your England career, 1992, um, England, well, it was a very interesting and busy year for you. Contro- controversial, we'll come on to that in a little while, but also um, almost very successful again, because um, England uh, nearly, once again, won the, the one-day Cricket World Cup, which was then the, the sort of benchmark of it in Australia, but
3: fell at the last again. Yeah, I think we played, well, we probably played the best cricket, that's probably why we should have been there, but um, yeah, we fell at the last hurdle again, uh, unfortunately. Very controversial, difficult semi-final against, against south africa actually yeah that that was very controversial because um a matter of fact is that um i was vice captain and 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 graham who was captain i you know got the team to come off because um it started raining the ball got got fairly wet um and john t rhodes i think was batting in and i think he and both was bowling and i was a Deep mid off, and they were getting two quite easily. So I said, if they carry on, carrying on like this, they're going to get these runs in no time. So you know, of them and I had a bit of a bit of a row about it. So I said, well, I'll bowl you going field there. They'll probably run three to you. I mean, that was the game
2: where South Africans left the field in the rainstorm um, with a reasonable chance of winning. And
3: was losing. Well, it wasn't a rainstorm. It it was sort of a, a um, sort of a. Mild rain. You oh, know. Right, Alan, yeah. you took advantage of the rain. And that, I uh, took advantage of everything
2: there. Yeah. And the poor, the poor South Africans. And I felt for them. Um, they needed at that stage twenty-two or thirteen, which was doable. Then uh, the Duckworth-Lewis system, which has largely, I think, worked to the benefit yeah. of cricket. Um, there must have been some kind of glitch in it, the way it worked. They came back out requiring twenty-two in one ball. And were you laughing yeah. inside, Alan? Be honest.
3: Well, when when Brian McMillan came out, um, because he he was on uh, batting and. When he came out to bat, I big said... Big Brian. Yeah, I said, make sure it's a big hit to get 22, <laughs> which didn't go down too well, really.
2: No, that's that's not very sporting, Alan. Well, you know,
3: it's a bit of tongue-in-cheek. Tell me about the final in Melbourne against Pakistan. Yeah, I think, you know, Pakistan hadn't played good cricket at all and then had that incredible semi-final, well, the semi-final and qualified, really, in New Zealand. Um, and uh, again, you know, we, we got them... You know, we thought it was reasonable. I think we were chasing two thirty or two forty, I'm not too sure. Two hundred you needed two hundred and fifty to win. They made two four nine for six. Right. And and we were going along fine. I think we were getting ahead of it. I think I was I was betting with Fairbrother. Yeah, Neil Fairbrother and you were doing well, yeah. Um and uh then Wasm came on and uh just before we had come on I had gone to the umpires to say, you know, guys, you know, they are messing around with the baller, but yeah, you know, you've got it. And they, they, the umpires didn't know, well, I think it was the New Zealand umpire, didn't know what was going on. And then, Waz, I mean, was a fantastic bowler, came on and he bowled that mag, absolute magic delivery. I don't think I've ever had a delivery like that. And that totally changed, changed the game, because then the next one, he bowled that massive big in-swing, the ball swung from nowhere, there was Chris Lewis out and that was us gone um you know so you know that really changed the game so you know all credit to 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 pakistan um they 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 won won, won
2: the world cup they did win the world cup and disappointing for you and for england and they then came to england in 1992 um you as you said there'd been some talk in the uh in that world cup final about how the great uh, reverse swing bowlers that the Pakistanis had. They were great bowlers, had been maybe messing with the ball. Of course, a few years earlier, we'd had the row between Mike Gatting and the umpire Shakur Rana, which had ended up in an international incident. By the time they got here in 1992, um, I mean, the series, the one day and the test series, were tremendously successful from some points of view. I remember the grounds were packed for every game. I mean, um, but there was an atmosphere going on wasn't there things weren't going my
3: my recollection the teams weren't going well between the two teams no there you know there was always a, a little bit happening there and uh, um I, I think it was a known fact that um i think we played at lords and uh i think where the whole thing changed is is um we reported to the umpires at lords and they came in at lunchtime and uh, um they were, they changed the ball they got the captains in. They were told what was happening. Everyone knew, right? Besides the the, the media. Let me ask you straightforward questions here. I mean, it wasn't
2: wasn't Akram? Who else was playing in there? They, they had a Wacky Unis. course, they, they, they were just yeah. great bowlers. Were they tampering with the ball? I mean, you can see you're there on the,
3: with a nail or were you using something well, else. Listen, whatever you know, whatever you do, you, it's illegal to tamper with the ball. So, right. um, you know, they were very good at it, and you know, they they had the art of doing it. You know, you know, I always say, well done to them for getting away with it. Um, but, you know, we saw it and we reported to the umpires, and umpires. That was the first time they did anything about it, and and. And then what had happened was, um, you know, uh, after the after that day at Lords, I, I went along to to um, you know to to the fish uh, the Lords the ECB and said, you know, you've got to Mickey, you've got to report this. I mean, the press, what has happened? And they covered up because they felt it was wrong with Pakistan and and they covered it up. So I said, well, you know, if you're not going to rep- tell what has happened in the game, I'm going to tell them. Why did you decide to do that, Alan? Well, because I felt that uh, it should come out. You know, it was something that I felt that, uh, you know, you, if you do something now, or, or you know, Mike Atherton had soil in his in his big trousers. I mean, you can't. You know, if you're doing something that is not legal and it's illegal, sure. you, you've got to pay the consequences. And and it wasn't. Listen, it wasn't any bitterness. Listen, they were fantastic. I'm, Wes is still a great friend of mine, and you know. But it wasn't. It was just something that had to be done. But we were so soft because we weren't even professional. Outfit our people who were running cricket, and that was the ECB at the stage. And and that was really they would not report it.
2: And on heart, were were they the only ones doing it?
3: We weren't doing it as well. Well, we couldn't. We weren't good enough. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the problem, isn't it? You... Well, we couldn't. I mean, we we hadn't we hadn't cracked it. I mean, the guys tried to do it in. In the nets. I mean, sure. this 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 came right through. I mean, you know, uh, it's something that everyone did. In the end, you know, they they sort of, it wasn't they they were you know wetting the one side of the ball. But, I mean, you could go on for ages with this, but it's not. I mean, the bottom line was it was happening. It wasn't reported. I reported and never played test cricket again. That was the end.
2: Hang of it. on, yeah, you reported it and you're the whistleblower and something was going on and you're the one who's punished. You were fined. There was uproar. There was utter uproar um, and you never played again and
3: those two things are linked, aren't they? Well, yeah. I mean, you can't... I always say you can't harp on it about it but, uh, you know, it just shows you... That well, we... this is the right place to harp on about it. Yeah, but it didn't... You know, there was no... You know, our ECB, what powers of B were they? I mean, they just sat on the fence. I mean, it wouldn't happen nowadays. No. Do you think, uh, do you, I mean, with all the TV co- coverage of cricket now, do you think uh, that,
2: that there's, any, there's much ball tampering goes on? I mean, there's like very careful conditioning of the ball that goes yeah. on with designated shine. No, f- no, I think, no, that.
3: no, I think it's, it's, you know, the television's so good now, you, you can't really get away with, you know. A moment, since I'm, since we're talking about this sort
2: of thing, and I we'll come back to your in career in a second, um... The other, the other thing that's the thing that's blighted the game in recent years is the is the spot fixing and the, and the people gambling on on certain mm. issues in cricket. Did you ever have any, have any feeling? that uh, You played any cor- corrupt cricket
3: in your time? No, not at all. It never, ever, ever came. I mean, you know, I look back now and I just think of a, a game against India, um, and uh, that's when the row was going on about the captaincy between Kavaska and Kapil Dev, and. Um, uh they were cruising along after lunch I think after tea they were, they, they they had five wickets or six wickets um it was going nowhere the game for a draw all of a sudden they came out and it was like a one-day competition they started playing shots all over the blooming place and uh, we bowled them out and we knocked the runs off and we won in in Delhi now that was the only time but well you, you thought something this is a bit yeah, weird that, yeah. that could be a bit weird but I know what it was the clash between kapil Dev and, 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 and Sunil Kavaska uh, because kapil didn't want to play under Sunil Kavaska and and that was a real problem, I think, uh, because the way kapil battered when he came out uh, didn't help matters.
2: And you're never approached in a hotel room by a shady character no, in your whole time playing
3: for England? No, not at all. Okay. Good, good. So, good to hear I mean, it. You know, I don't think because there was no... There was no betting in those, no spot betting, spread betting, all that type exactly. of betting. And I think it's only when that came in, uh, you know, that's when the betting started. So uh sorry, 79 test matches
2: for England, 122 one-day internationals. How do you look back on your international career, Alan? Uh,
3: average. Um, I probably should have done, I should have been averaging in the 40s. Um, probably took the foot off the accelerator in a, in a couple of games, should have probably concentrate a little bit more. Do you feel unfulfilled then about that? Um, no, not really. I've had a, you know, I've enjoyed the career. I, don't, I wouldn't, oh. you know, want it over, but I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, you're asking me yeah, to. I'm asking to, you to. Yeah. Yeah, that's how you look so back on it, yeah. That's exactly how I'm looking back on it. I um, fa- And your favourite moment of your international career, would you say? Um, you know, winning the Ashes Yeah. Um, was great, but I think probably beating the West Indies after 22 m- test matches, losing, and I think the greatest all those hundreds the one you get 100 and you win the game that's a great achievement so I think probably in Jamaica Sabina Park yeah, yeah. brilliant in Kingston absolutely right the
2: latter years of your career in county uh, cricket brought success with Northamptonshire of course you played for nearly 20 years with them um, became captain in the early 90s and um, well well uh, you won you won the NatWest Trophy in 1992. Where does that success rank? I mean, it's easy to think about people like yourself who played a lot of international cricket. It's easy to forget that you played county cricket as well and were devoted to the county in a way that doesn't happen now. Of course, they they're taken away. They don't play mm. county cricket, do they?
3: Yeah, I I, I became captain. I think it was 89, and uh, I finished playing Test cricket in 92. Um, and it was just in that period where. Um, I I got a uh, he was a very close friend of mine, a guy called Lynn Wilson, who's no longer around. He he became club chairman. I got him as club chairman. Um, so we worked very well, you know. I said I'm going to run the cricket, you know. He he'll run the admin, he'll run the whole cricket side, you know, the the Northampton, the everything on, on uh, you know, to do with the club. But I said just leave the cricket in my hands and. Uh, you know, we, we had some great success from ninety two to ninety five and, and one thing he always wanted, he wanted the county championship because Northampton had never won it. And uh, um I never forget we, we we lost Kirtley Ambrose because he was going to West Indies tour and I had to replace uh Kirtley Ambrose and uh, um I, I spoke to Saniel Kavaska and and uh, uh as a Rudin. And I said, "Listen, I need something different here. You know, who who do you think I should get?" And he said, "Get Anil Kumbley. So, I we signed him on. But a lot of the committee, in, in, in those days, you had sort of twelve people sitting on the cricket committee, which I refused to go to the committees. You know, and I said, "Come and see me at the end of the season." And you know, the, the, what was their objection? Because he was a spin bowler, or because he was wasn't a, a world household well, I at I think the time? they hadn't they hadn't known him. I right. mean, you know, um, and. Um, I I played against him uh, before, and he didn't really do that well, but he got me out uh, at Old Trafford, LBW. He never turned the ball, but everyone, he got the wickets because people thought he turned it. Um, So... I just thought he'd be, we, we had quite a good sort of seam attack. And I just said, the thing we're lacking is a spinner. And uh, so I signed him. It didn't, the first two games didn't go too well. And I remember the chairman coming to me, said, you sure you made the right decision? I said, I'm telling you, I have made the right decision. And, and that was it, really. But, you know, having to go to your uh, cricket chairman and, and, and tell him, why I'm playing these certain people didn't really go down with me I said I don't operate that way you have a look at my performances and our results at the end of the season and that's how we'll run it well it, it, 1995
2: I think Kumbay took over 100 wickets and uh, you became that close to being county
3: champions yeah uh, if Mike Gatting had sort of made a game of it um down at Middlesex and and then it it, it and and uh, um down at Sussex, the two two where we didn't, and I think uh, I can't remember. Someone was playing Kent, and Kent made a, a game of against Warwickshire, and Warwickshire won the game. So. Um, that's where it because we beat Warwickshire in that season we you know so that was the biggest disappointment for me in county cricket
2: i mean it's it's not a million years ago it's only twenty years ago um, now we see county cricket b- players coming and going you know overseas players coming being fl- helicoptered in for two weeks um, we see the young English cricketers tremendously fit and agile around the field. Um, Twenty years ago, was it, it? was still a very different world, wasn't it? You say committees of twelve, and I think people still played county cricket
3: in a kind of. It was a different world, wasn't it? Yeah, totally. I, I mean, listen, the the, the players. Okay, you, they may be a lot fitter now, but I mean, you know, we had players that didn't break down so much. It's in interesting, that isn't it? Um, and uh, you know, there was a lot of cricket. You know, uh, you know these guys now don't carry they they put it in a van, their bags, and the the game and it's all taken out in case they pull a back muscle carrying the cricket bag i mean we had to do all that ourselves so the game's moved on you know i'm not complaining about the game but, no. but it's great good for the game but um you know can until Cri- until sorry until you see someone like simon jones ruining
2: his whole career to save one run on the boundary a fast bowler injuring themselves diving headlong probably in a forlorn pursuit of the ball and you think is that really a good use of his time
3: no, I mean it was unlucky, really. I mean, you know, you know, he was a fairly agile guy. It was just very unlucky what happened. Yeah, and uh, did you did you enjoy? It? I mean, it,
2: once you've um, played so much Test cricket, did you enjoy your county cricket, Alan?
3: Yeah, I did because I, I wanted something to prove. I, you know, I uh, eighty nine, I was still playing for England, so I couldn't commit. I was still captain. Uh, the the the, and then I think Wayne Larkin stood in when I wasn't captain. Um, so when I didn't play from 92, I was totally committed that I really wanted to have a lot of success as captain for Northampton. So I gave it everything because I was no longer playing test cricket. Um, and I wanted to win that county championship for my old friend Lynn Wilson. That was one of the big things. Why did you, why did you
2: I mean, I think you went on and played, did you go back to play some more in South Africa just towards the end? Um, no, 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 okay. no. no,
3: So why, why did you decide to pack it in? well 95 i you know i've got fairly fairly bored um and i'd done a book uh in 95 it was supposed to have come out early um and then they said that if the book comes silence out, of the lamb um yeah something like that and um i think what had happened was is that the, the i hadn't signed a contract with the board the ecb and they if the book came out they didn't read the book we we told them they they didn't have a the right to read it yeah. right to read it and the club got a, a little bit up tense about it and and you know they said if we you know if you carry on playing and you get banned you know it's not and eventually all this sort of came to an head. and i said you know yeah,
2: Alan, you're, I'm out of here. Absolutely. But again, possibly in other words, let's talk to somebody who is a real close friend of yours. Um, he first saw you play for Western Provinces in 1976. And has been in and around your life ever since. I think also he's had some very bad influence on you, introducing you to things like bobsleighing and skiing. I'd like to say we're joined in the line by Simon Strong. Hello, Simon.
0: Hello, hi. Uh, other way around, as far as the um...
2: ah, it, uh, oh, oh, he's a bad influence on you, is he? I thought so, yeah. Well, I'm not too sure about that,
3: Strongbow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Simon, tell us about tell us about when you first saw the young Alan Lamb play. Did you did you know you were in the special in, in the presence of someone special who was going to go on to make um not just uh, sp- runs for England but sp- Spectacular runs.
0: I I I, did, I, saw, I had that feeling. I saw him at um, he was at Newlands playing for uh, Western Province against Natal, and they were due to go bottom. And he he was just a batsman. He's one of these batsmen that you don't go to the bar when he's playing. <laughs> You, you you actually want to see people batting. And he was very much one of those, And as a prude, of course proved uh, years later in all those wonderful innings against the West Indies when they were at their pomp.
2: And what do you think, I mean, we all know, you know, we've discussed at length and um, technically what Alan was doing that made him such a, a terrific batsman. Um, I'm suggesting from having spent the last couple of hours with him that there's something about his personality as well that made him uh, the cricketer that he was.
0: Oh, yeah, indeed. I mean, he's... He, he's... <laughs> Well, you, as you say, you've been with him for the last couple of hours. I mean, he's, um, he's just a ball of energy and fire, and he will take no prisoners. He's forthright. He's forthright. He's got no fear. He is
2: very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Come on. Well, I mean,
0: he is, he's just always... You know, there's always something is uh, either about to happen or has, has just happened in his company. Ooh. He just loves life, and he's um, always at the heart of whatever is going on and um it, it, it's it's no accident that he and people like um, um both of them and David Garr got on so well, and they had a, a, a sort of a great zest for life
3: generally and he's sorry adam yeah but but you led us astray, Strongbow. I mean you know you you got us uh, you know you took me to go bob. Bob sledging. I mean, that is totally wrong of you to take me and misguide me.
0: Well, there it was, it was, it it were, were certainly interesting times. The one I remember, the, the, the most shocking one, was when you were skiing. Do you remember when we were in, in Verbia with those, uh, when the Aussies had decided to leg you over and give you a pair of really fast uh, racing skis? and We were up at the top of some place which was literally, it was vertical and it had no place to turn.
3: Yeah, typical Aussies, they said you can't play cricket, you might as well learn to ski, do you remember? That's
0: right. But you then went off like a downhill racer, completely out of control. And um, by the time we picked you up, obviously when you came to do the first turn somewhere else, it was, the skill was somewhat lacking. <laughs> having not he skied for two or three days. I had to do it. And by the time we picked you up, you were about, you'd fallen about 300 feet. I remember thinking, this is not good news. And, uh, but you just got up, shook yourself down, and got on with it. I mean, it was extraordinary.
3: Well, but, but I must say, the reason why he was panicking so much Simon used to be in the insurance game So we used oh. to have all the sponsorship through him <laughs> Oh, he was terrified He was actually terrified of the
2: cost Listen, Simon, great to talk to you Thank you very much for giving us just some flavour of Alan not As a man away from
3: the, the changing rooms and the dressing rooms
0: Not at all, thank you
3: And uh, don't worry, I'll buy you lunch for those kind words
0: When will you phone me?
3: Uh, very shortly
0: <laughs> Bye, All the best
2: that's Simon Strong Alan, Alan's, Mate, I think that's the phrase I'd use He's your mate Alan, you retired as we discussed there in 1995 And unlike, say, someone like uh, Chris Gale Who thanks to the IPL when he retires uh, Now will probably never have to work again I don't suppose it was quite quite that for you um, How have you spent much of the time since then? How, how do you fill in your time? I mean, I hear you, of course and see you on the
3: television <laughs> and the radio all the time um, No, I mean, yeah, the IPL was a major factor For some of these guys But, um, no, oh, no,
2: Alan How much would you have been Worth for the
3: IPL that was around there. I mean, it's
2: probably probably torturing yourself
3: even to think yeah, about it. Yeah, well, let's move on. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I set up an event management and hospitality company, which is still going. Um, What's it called? Uh, just Alan Lamb Associates, right, right. Um, and then the last couple of years I've got involved, uh, director of a company called Cleveland Collection and Africa Travel, and we've set up another company called Global Sports, so we do um, sporting trips abroad, not only cricket, rugby, um, golf, anything really,
2: but but also but what you mean, just to South Africa or to the no rest no of the all world? over the world, right? So, uh,
3: Cleveland Collection does uh, does. Uh, all over the world we have africa travel that just does africa and then global sports does the, the 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 sporting travel around the world
2: and is that is that a is that just a means of making a living for
3: you or do you love watching sport no that's a means of making a living you know i give me rugby then 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 cricket i mean i am a big rugby man i'm taking people out on the british lions coming up um, and full, then ho-
2: uh, a full exclusive live commentary of every game on the british lions irish
3: lions tour here on talk sport don't forget that in the summer uh, and then we're going to put a package some packages up to and watch the Ashes in, in, in Australia. So you like, obviously you like watching cricket
2: and you like watching rugby. Is there any, do you have to go to any sporting events where you're, you're less interested? Um, careful what you're saying now. The,
3: the cricket can be a long one, you know. So the rugby's shortest. So I prefer watching the rugby than you the cricket. You still love the rugby because, of course, you played it. Yeah, yeah. so um, – and then, uh, you know, that's the luxury travel side. And then we've, we've got sporting events, so we'll do a lot of corporate dues. Um, You know all the major sporting events that are going on in this country.
2: Well, listen, we've got to, we're joined by another guest now. I'm delighted to say, which of uh, course you've been talking about your love of rugby. H.O. de Villiers um, played for South Africa in the late 60s and early 70s. Um, I know you were uh, real muckers even back then, and he joins us on the line now, which is fantastic. Hello, H.O. Hi, guys. How are you real? Very,
3: very good indeed. H. Lovely Please. to lovely to hear you. Uh, one of my heroes.
4: Lemmy, I can't say the same about you though
2: <laughs> I, I knew you are a bad no, lovely one Lovely getting... to
4: talk to you guys Lovely to talk to you guys
2: You know that uh, uh, Alan Lamb says that you, when you were playing for the Springboks at Rugby Union you, you, were, you were his hero, how does that feel? <laughs> well it makes
4: me laugh because he never treated me like a hero uh, he always treated me like trash
3: Yeah, No, no don't say that, H.E. You're, mod- <laughs> you're being very modest now
4: <laughs> look I think that I had probably um, more respect for Alan's sporting ability than I could have ever expected him to give me
2: what did you think about I mean, once you got to know him I guess what did you think about watching him play so brilliantly for England over the years HO
4: well you know I said that um, when Alan left here as a young little budding rugby player, I always said to everybody that spoke to me about him that I have no doubt that it 's just a matter of time before he will he will make the England side and be representing England, um, unfortunately, sitting there now listening to you but um, or to me. Um, But, you know, he was the kind of guy that you could go to war with. Guts, there was plenty of. Never a a scared hair on his head. And he would be the ideal candidate that one would pick if you knew you you needed someone there to to take a stand and and sort of uh, save the day for England.
3: Well, H, I can just remember those rugby days with villagers where, where you got me into a lot of trouble. You you try to keep me on the straight and narrow but unfortunately I overstepped the mark on a couple of occasions. <laughs>
4: No doubt about it. I actually was going to say, if they asked me the question about, um, you know, what what did I think of your strengths and weaknesses? I think you had a lot of strengths, but the big weakness that I found was your discipline was lacking. When we were disciplined guys, but to, to coach someone and be involved with someone who you didn't know was going to turn up the next day for the game because you didn't know what he was doing the Friday night was always a problem for me.
2: Well, <laughs> you 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 may call it a You may call call it um, lack of discipline, but from listening to other guests and from talking to Alan for the last while, it seems to me that he's just a fellow who lives life to the full. I'm just saying, it seems to me that uh, what you call lack of discipline, it may be that just Alan Lamb lives life to the full.
4: Yes, no, 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 there's no question about that. I think he did live life to the full. But in the meantime, whilst living life to the full, he was a bit of a coach's nightmare the day before a game. The day of the game, he was fantastic.
2: Okay, well, listen, I apologize. This is not the, the super best line in the world, so goodbye. H, thanks
3: for coming on, buddy, and we'll catch up with you shortly.
4: No, great, Lemmy, and all the best to you and your family. And and it's a pleasure to be able to say something about you, even though it's bad stuff. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thanks, H. It's a pleasure to say well, thank you very much indeed. That's the uh, the legendary H.O. de Villiers, uh, South African rugby international. Uh, it was a, it's a pleasure to say something about you, even though it's bad stuff, Alan.
3: <laughs> there you are. I mean, he, he was a, he was a great player. I mean. um, you know, if, if you look back uh, at, at fullbacks, he was probably one of the greatest Springbok fullbacks. And uh, he was a guy that... Uh, um you know, always made something happen in the game. I mean, I remember we were playing in a game, a club game and uh, we were playing at Newlands and I was playing at Flyoff and he said, just watch me. I'm going to go out and they won't even see me. I'm going to sit on the side. They had these like little uh, concrete sort of steps and, and he sat on there and no one could see where H.O. and I knew exactly and I just crossed one straight over to the corner and out came H.O., caught the ball and scored. So, you know, he, he was incredible. He read the game so well. Well, we, we kind of to talk about rugby now, which is fine because I know you love it. Um,
2: when England play South Africa these days, uh, let's say at Twickenham, uh, who do you support,
3: Alan? No, no, support England at, at all sports. Uh, I, support, uh, I support South Africa when they're playing everyone else besides England. So how did you feel when, uh, when South Africa won the Rugby World Cup, Nelson Mandela and all the rest of that? I know, it was absolutely fantastic for them, you know. I mean, you know, what they've been through and everything like that. So, you know, I, I follow, follow it uh, very closely and when you get back to your to your native land um,
2: you know you left there when you were 18 years of age so it, it inevitably it's still home for you I guess although you're a British person now um, what do you think about South Africa now when you go home
3: um, you know without travel it takes me down quite a lot um, you know with Africa travel it's, yeah. a, it's a luxury company that does safaris and does all the islands and everything like that and uh, we put on some fantastic uh, trips and that down there but um yeah you can see the change in South Africa um, You know People sort of always criticizing South Africa Because someone is uh, Because of crime and all that But you know you look at other countries And the, you know they could be a lot worse off too So um, you know I think Johannesburg's still a wonderful city uh, Everyone talks about Cape Town But you know uh, Johannesburg is so cosmopolitan and, and uh, it's it's fantastic but South Africa's got so much to offer and you know we get back um also because of the travelling and that type of stuff and uh, um you know, I still regard it as my sort of second home to go back, and I've still got some great friends there.
2: i speaking of friends. I mean, uh, th- th- we've already heard from one or two of, of your friends, but what about from your time? Is, it's famous that cricket, um, because you spend so much time with the guys. It's not like other sports, is it? You're with them day and night for. I mean, if you play Test cricket, you're with them for weeks on end. Who are your great friends? Who are the pe- people you've emerged
3: 30 years, 20 years later from as great friends from the game? Um, you know, if you take the Australians, I, I think Dennis Lillian and Jeff Thompson. Good Jeff choice. Came, Jeff Thompson comes over here. Um and he does a lot of speaking engagements during the summer, so I'll see him. Dennis is coming to stay with me this summer. Really? Yeah, fantastic. Um, and and you know, uh, Viv's still a great old mate. We go to the West Indies. You can still call on them. Desmond Haynes. So all those players I played. So you know, if you go to a country, you can always pick up the phone and get a hold of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, same, you know, Richard Hadley and Martin Crow, down in in New Zealand. Um, you know, India you've got Sanil Kavaska and Kapil Dev and all the. So. I think that's what cricket's is how, how,
2: how come you only make friends with really great players Alan you don't you don't seem to have any friends who are I, average players no no
3: I've got I've got lots of other friends I was just <laughs> sort no, of no, mentioning just, players yeah, that you of course you, I'm teasing you, people I'm teasing would
2: you. know so and what about from your own from the England team who are your chances
3: um, you know I still bump into a lot of the players you know when yeah. there's a game on and I've taken clients there because of some hospitality or whatever um, and we're looking after them you know we'll bump into the players and Gower and Willis and Botham and and Gladstone Small and, you know, all those players will, will be around.
2: And, you, I mean, I, I take it uh, uh, whether whether or not you like to watch cricket for
3: five days on the end, um, you are you still enjoying your life? Yes. I mean, it, it, it was easier playing cricket. I mean, business is is, is, is a struggle at the moment. Sure uh, it is. You know, with the economy like it is. So hopefully that'll change and we'll get more people coming on our trips and taking hospitality with me. Um but uh, you know, you know, life's there. You know, you've got to enjoy it, and uh, I think you've got to live it to the full. Alan, we've been hearing from people who know you that you're fearless. So uh, I don't. Uh, let me ask you
2: some Who's your most fearsome opponent? Who's been the best player you've played against in cricket?
3: Um, well, you know, I I think if I if I talk about batsmen, I think Viv Richards comes to to, to yeah, I think yeah. he was one of the greatest and extraordinary. And the other one would be. Barry Richards just for his finesse, you just didn't know when he got a hundred But Viv was a butcher, came in, he showed his present, looked at you, you know, looked like he wanted to hit him with a bat. You know, it was he just was like that. Um bowler, I mean there were some great bowlers I played and it's difficult to pick just one exception. Pick a couple then. But yeah. No, I can I have to pick oh, one because right. I think I played against him more times than, than any of them else and, and that was the great Malcolm Marshall. Okay, no longer with us, of course. Yeah, I mean, extraordinary. I mean, he bowled as quick as anyone else. He had a great cricket brain, swung the ball both ways, and we had some great battles and a great, great guy, too.
2: And uh, unlike his colleagues in that famous rotating battery of West Indians, he wasn't six foot seven. He was doing it, skidding off the pitch. The speed it must have been arriving, it must have been terrifying. or Not terrifying, uh, difficult to deal with.
3: Yeah, make sure you watch that ball. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, my plan of not watching it and just trying to predict it—you're saying that's not going to work, no. And um, what are you most proud of,
3: Alan, in, in, in your life so far? Uh, you know, moving over here, yeah, bringing my family. I've got two wonderful kids, Katie and uh, my daughter, who's twenty-five. My son Richard, um, who's uh, twenty-two. Uh, and and my wife, you know, I brought her over from South Africa. She's very much South African. She's got all her family still in South What's Africa. What's her name, please? Uh, Lindsay Lamb, and uh-huh. and probably um, uh, you know, that's probably why my, my accent never really changed. It it stayed always the same. Um, and and she's very South African, so uh, you know, I'm I'm very proud to have that those as, as my family and growing up with them, and um, probably you know, just making people happy. And I guess your hopes for the future,
2: from the way you've been talking, would all center around your family. Of course. I mean, that's
3: what life's all about, isn't it? You've been listening to an archive edition of Talk Sports My Sporting Life with Danny Kelly. Thanks for listening. And make sure you subscribe on Apple
2: Podcasts, Acast, and Spotify for more top Talk Sport content.
1: Planning for your next trip?